Thank you, Rick. And Nancy, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 22. We looked at the uh, first half of this passage of Scripture as we look at Jesus walking on the water. Looked at some things about Jesus, his awareness of us that he's always watching us even when we can't see him because of life's circumstances, his willingness to come to us. And we looked at these things, and we decided we would reserve the last half of this passage of Scripture because the things that we see about the Apostle Peter stepping out of the boat, that pretty well deserves a whole sermon. And that's what we'll look at this morning in Matthew chapter 14, Beginning in verse 22, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the midst of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God of God. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you that we can meet ourselves in these passages of scripture, but especially that we meet Jesus. We need a clear look at Jesus today. Father, help us to see Jesus and his word for us. There are needs in this building. We ask that you would use this passage of scripture to address the needs that we have in our hearts. We ask that you would deal with us in mercy and in truth. And please just do not leave us alone today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Several things that we look at, and we could have mentioned this last week as we looked at the overview of this and introduced this past description, is the certainty of this miracle. Now, skeptics claim and some even call themselves Bible critics or scholars, but skeptics claim that this was not really a miracle at all, that the boat was in the shallows and that Jesus, being on the mountain, spotted a sandbar, and he walked on that real shallow sandbar to go to the disciples. Well, two details refute this. If you notice quite specifically... In verse 24, Matthew says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Now, this phrase, in the middle of the sea, 
in the Greek translation, several English translations, if you have them in your hand, uh, the NIV says the boat was a considerable distance from the land. Other English translations say it was far away. John, who records this miracle, gets very specific. It says in John chapter 6, verse 19, there's several different uh, units of measurement used depending on your English translation. I believe the King James says a furlong. John in the other English translation says three to four miles. The, quite, the Greek word that's used is stadia, which I believe is about 600 feet. And it says he was 25 to 30 stadia. They had rowed 25 to 30 stadia. So we realize John was an experienced fisherman. He had known how far they had rowed. He knew how far they were going across the lake. And he said, in English translation, three to four miles. Now, another detail that we understand is it says the wind was contrary. It blew them off course. Scholars that look at the geography and look at the, the patterns of how Jesus traveled says they should have gone just a couple of miles across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Now they have rowed three to four miles, and they're far out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which means they were not in the shallows. They were in the middle of the sea. Now, if we really believe what we say we believe about Jesus Christ, we have no problem believing this was a, a really miracle. Now, I have no problem believing this. I believe Jesus walked on the water. I believe what the Bible says about that. And the reason is because I also believe what the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Quite specifically, John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then it says in verse 14 of John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was God, and was the Word, and the Word was God, and God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was and is God. And His miracles display His mastery over all creation. Now, I also believe what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27, when it says, He has put all things under His feet. That includes the waves. Because quite literally, the waves, the storm, were under the feet of Jesus Christ. If we believe the truths that proclaim the miracle of salvation, through the death on the cross and the resurrection on the third day, if we really believe that, how can we balk at this? There is no miracle that surpasses the resurrection. And if we believe what we say we believe about Jesus Christ being the Savior of mankind and who lives and reigns and makes intercession for us, a living Savior that's able to save, if we believe that, we have no problem believing anything else in the scripture. But let's look at this. The storm. 
the waves, all under the feet of Jesus. So it is with your storm, and so it is with my storm. Everything that caused them fear and panic that night, under the feet of Jesus. The things that are beyond our control, the things we are unable to control or sometimes even cope with, all under the feet of Jesus. We find a lot of comfort in this miracle when we look at it that way. Someone might say, Can, do we really believe these miracles? If we can't believe these miracles, then salvation is not possible because there is no miracle that surpasses the resurrection that makes salvation possible. So let's look at Peter. The reason I want to devote a whole sermon to Peter is because of this. Peter's walk can be our story. Now you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not talking about walking out across that swimming pool or walking out across the lake. Oh, we're talking about something far, far even more important. Let's get down to some things that are even more important than walking on top of a body of water. First of all, Peter's walk can be our story if we look at his words very specifically. Peter answered him in verse 28, Lord, if it be you, command me to come to you on the water. Now let's look at the first part of that request. Command me to come to you. Stop. Stop. Number one, Peter's number one desire was to be closer to Jesus. Peter's number one desire to be closer to Jesus. The water just so happened to be between him and Jesus. But there was a big problem with Peter. I'm here and Jesus is there and I want to get to Jesus. And so I asked Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever I can do, however it can happen, let me be closer to you. Let me come to you. Is that our number one desire? Or there are there other things that take priority over that? Secondly, Peter requested an invitation. Peter was impulsive. But notice Peter just didn't jump in the water. He asked the question first, if it is you. Now, of course, some scholars with the uh, Greek language say that this word if could very well be translated since. Uh, so I doubt very seriously if it wasn't Jesus, he really didn't be walking in that direction. He didn't want to be doing that. Since it is you. Now, I'm sure he really wanted to be from here to there and get to Jesus, but perhaps he wanted to make sure Jesus thought it was a good idea. Now, there's a good lesson there. There's some times where we really want to do some things. We're impulsive. We like the idea of doing some things, of making some decisions, participating in some activities. But hold up. Let's run it by Jesus and make sure that that's a good idea. So he said, since it is you, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. More likely than just wanting to see if it's a good idea. It was a willingness to follow him more closely. Because 
Different words are used in different English translations. And this English translation is command me. I believe the King James says bid me to come. Did you know in the original language, this is a specific word that's used in only one instance. And that is the command or instructions of a king to his people. There's a lot to be said for that. He used the word that you would use when dealing with a king's command for his people. He recognized he was the Lord. He recognized you're the king, you're in charge. By his use of language, he even in that boat before he stepped out said, you're the king. You're the king. And you're in charge. You tell me what to do. Give me something to do. You're the king. Give me some instructions. You see, true Christianity and true discipleship, despite what we claim or say or the titles we wear, and following Jesus is when we are willing to invite Jesus to command us to do something and not just to watch others do something. Give me something to do, Lord. Command me to do something. And he was willing to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus. To say, you tell me to come to you on the water. Because, thirdly, Peter recognized, and this is important. Peter recognized Jesus would never ask him to do something without giving him the ability to do it. He trusted Jesus. And he trusted, if Jesus instructs me to do this, it's possible. And I can do that. So much that he was willing to step out of the boat. Now, we're not dealing with some guy who didn't know what he was dealing with. Peter was a professional, seasoned, lifelong, expert fisherman. He knew those waters. He knew how hard the storms were. They had been agonizing and rowing all night long. He knew that this was a doozy of a storm, and he was willing to step out of the boat. Now, the boat was being pummeled, and the boat was being tossed, but the boat was the safest thing out there at the time. It was safe. It was familiar. He knew a fishing boat like the back of his hand. It was familiar. It was predictable. But he was willing to step out of what was safe, what was comfortable, and what was predictable because he knew Christ would give him the ability to leave that and to step out on the water. He could not stay in the boat and be obedient to Jesus because Jesus already told him to come. And he trusted Jesus enough to get out of what was familiar. Author John Ortberg says it this way, if you want to walk on water, you have to step out of the boat. You can't do it both. You can't stay with what's comfortable. You can't stay with what's easy. We can't stay with what's familiar. You can't stay with what's predictable. When Jesus asks us to serve, we have to step out of the boat. And Jesus asks us to do these things. He asks us, all of us, to live lives of decency, morality, and honesty. Read his words. 
that surpasses cultural and even legal expectations. Jesus said some things. You've heard it said in the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I tell you to turn the other cheek. And what he's saying is this. Something that might be legal may not necessarily be right. And he asked us to step out of the boat and to live lives of decency and honesty. One man thought they would trap Jesus, say, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, he's probably thinking, which one can I ignore? And Jesus said this, here is the greatest of all commandments. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, here's another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. He asked us to do this. He asked us all to do this. Are we willing to step out of the boat and to do this? Oh, here's a big one. And he said, forgive as God has forgiven you. That's typically where people draw the line. Typically, and I've had it said to me so many times, well, well, you don't understand what they did. No, I don't understand. You don't understand they really hurt me. No, I don't understand. But let me tell you, Jesus knows exactly what they did. Jesus knows exactly how you're hurting. And it's Jesus that says, forgive. Now we realize it is stepping out of the boat. Because you know what we like to do? We like to stay in the boat of revenge. And maybe someday we can somehow pay back. Jesus said, step out of that boat. Get out of there. And you forgive as God has forgiven you. That is humanly impossible. And just like the apostle Peter, that knew, who he couldn't get on, on the water unless Jesus enabled him to do that, we've got to learn to follow the instruction of Jesus to forgive, knowing that it's only Jesus gives us the ability to do that. What else does Jesus ask us to do? All of us. To be a part of the Great Commission. To reach the ends of the world with the message of his love. That's a big job. He gives it to us as individuals, but specifically he gives it to the church. And, and what is the church? That's us. That's us. That's a big job. But let me tell you, he won't ask us to do anything without first giving us the ability to do it. And who's willing to step out of the boat in order to do all these things, we have to step out of our boat. Now, the question is, what is your boat? What's my boat? Now, not quite literally a boat, but is it comfort? Is it laziness? It's just easy to stay in a boat. Is it conformity to this culture? It's a lot easier to just go with the rest of the crowd. Go with the rest of the culture. And our culture is definitely going in the wrong direction. There are things that are legal and celebrated that are definitely not right. And we have to go with what Jesus says. What is our boat? You see, two things really had to happen. Uh, Ortberg says it this way. If you want to walk on water, you got to step out of the boat. So Peter steps out of the boat. And what else does he have to do before he's really walking on water? Let go. Ooh, that was probably harder than stepping out. You have to let go. You have to let go. 
William Carey said it this way. It's all a matter of trust and willingness to step out of the boat. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. Well, who was William Carey? William Carey, of course, was back in the, the 1700s. 1700s, he was a quite comfortable Baptist minister. And he began to be burdened for the lost in India and other lands. And he delivered a challenge to a Baptist associational meeting one time. He was a young, freshly ordained minister, and he issued a challenge and a biblical mandate to go to the uttermost parts of the world and reach the world with the gospel. He was impassioned. He was excited. He was fervent. And when he sat down, one of the older ministers said, young man, just sit down. Calm down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to reach the heathen with the gospel, he can do it without consulting us. In other words, let's all stay in the boat. He didn't listen. Carrie didn't listen. And he moved to India with his family. Moved to India with his family. Loneliness, health problems, seven years before the first person came to know the Lord. Stepped out of his boat. He attempted great things for God because he expected great things from God. Well, what finally happened? William Carey translated the Bible into seven, six different languages of India. India had six different languages. He translated the Bible in six different languages and parts of the Bible into 209 different dialects. I would say he attempted great things for God. So he asked us to attempt some great things for him as a church, as individuals. But what if I fail? You just might. What if I attempt great things and I blow it? You just might. But I also like what Ortberg said. Listen to this. We were made for something far more than just avoiding failure. So what do we do to keep from failing? We do absolutely nothing. What if I fail? That's likely. But oh, what if you succeed? You see, this passage of scripture doesn't just apply to the storms of our life. But from time to time, as a church, we've been faced with opportunities to step out of the boat, hadn't we? We've been faced with opportunities to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. It's a big thing when we stepped out on faith and built this sanctuary. It was a bigger thing financially when we stepped out on faith and built the educational building. But then from time to time, you, out of the blue, encounter an opportunity. It could be an opportunity concerning your service for the Lord. It may be a career opportunity. It may be a, a job opportunity. Young people, it may be an educational opportunity. You might say, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can 
do that. I don't know if I'm really wanting to step out of the boat. In order to pursue these opportunities, you've got to leave everything that's familiar and safe and predictable and step out of the boat and do something you've never done before. What if you fail? But what if you succeed? But listen, there's two ways to fail. Always remember this. Two ways to fail. The first way is openly. It's the possibility when I attempt to do something and when I attempt to achieve a great thing, when I step out of the boat, there's a possibility I might fail. And sometimes we do. That's the first way to fail. But the most common way to fail is thousands of people fail this way, and that's quietly and privately. We never, ever even try. One guy got out of the boat. Eleven stayed in the boat and watched. Which one are we going to be? Peter, we'll just look at that in a minute. People might say, well, boy, didn't he flub it up. What do the other guys do? You see, sometimes we are faced with an opportunity that's so daunting and so challenging. But what if I fail? If we try, there's a possibility we'll fail. If we stay in the boat, it's a guarantee that we'll fail. We've got to make the decision. There's a sad story just a couple of pages over. Jesus asked for Peter to get out of his, the boat and come to him. And in chapter 19, he asked another man to get out of a boat. Not literally, but figuratively. He identifies the man's boat. He identifies what's comfortable, what's predictable, what was keeping him from Jesus. In Peter's case, it was the water. It was distance. It was the waves. But look at this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all of these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or complete, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Young man, he said, your boat, your riches, you're depending on those and not on the Lord. Now, Jesus didn't ask everybody to give up riches. He had several wealthy people that followed him, and the church had several wealthy people that, that were, did great things for the church. He wasn't saying that money was all bad, but you know, Jesus knows all the hearts. And notice, he didn't list all the commandments. He listed the ones that this guy could say, yep, I've done all these. But he said, you still like one thing. Get out of your boat. Get out of your boat. Sell everything you have. Make a big difference in the world and give it all away. And you come and follow me. Some of the saddest words you'll read in the Bible. Three words. He went away. 
He turned around and walked away from Jesus. Nope, not going to do it. Can't let go of the boat. Can't step out of the boat. That's impossible. And he didn't even try. He didn't even entertain the idea. He turned right around, turned his back on Jesus, and walked away. He walked away with every stinking penny he had when he came to Jesus. He had something else going for him. He was young, it says. In Luke chapter 18, I believe, it says he was a ruler. He had every bit of influence. He had every bit of money. He had every bit of his youth and health that he ever had when he came to Jesus. He walked away with all of it. Can you imagine if he had talked to somebody and said, you never believe the deal I made. I came to Jesus and I walked away with every penny. He didn't get a penny of my money. I, I made the best deal. He didn't get anything out of me. Yep, I got every stinking penny that I had. I won. No. It says he went away. What? Sorrowful. He had every stinking penny, every dollar that he clutched in his fist and he was unhappy. And obviously he was unhappy when he came to Jesus. That word eternal life doesn't mean just last forever. It means fulfilled life. What can I do to have a fulfilled life? And he said, step out of the boat and come and follow me. Imagine this man years later. He's older now, maybe still successful, got lots of money. He was a ruler, probably had some promotions. He gets toward the end of his life. He looks back at that day and he thinks of what could have been. And he thinks of what should have been. Do you think any of this other made a difference at all? Don't be that guy. Don't come to the end of our life, say, I, I had a chance. I had an opportunity. Jesus asked me to take the risk to live for him, to step out of the boat, whatever that may be. And I, like this guy, just turned around, stayed in my boat, and wouldn't step out. And despite everything he had, he had a life of regrets. Now you might say, well, let's get back to Peter. He stepped out of the boat and he failed. Oh, did he? Let's look a little closer to this. Let's look closer. Jesus said, come. And it says quite clearly, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water. He did it. He did it. He did what no human could do. There was no human explanation. Nothing but Jesus allowed him to. He gave him the strength. Jesus did that for him. He walked on the water. But then there's a but. He saw the wind and realized, hey, this is serious. I'm really doing something big. When he saw the, the wind and beginning to seek, he cried out, Lord, save me. And here's the fourth thing that Peter's walk could be our story. And that is, watch this, Peter knew when it was time to call for help. Imagine, typical guy thing, 
typical guy thing is I'm walking on the water. All of a sudden, the wind is boisterous and strong, and I'm starting to sink. But, but I can do that. I did it before. I can do that. I can get this. So I'm trying to find every other way to do that all the while going down. You see, he knew when it was time to pray for help, he was beginning to sink. Beginning to sink. Didn't say he sank. He was just beginning to sink. I saw a bumper sticker years ago. When all else fails, pray. Really? When everything else fails, and I've exhausted everything, and I'm finally just at my last, then I'm going to pray because maybe that'll work. Now, before everything else fails, what do we need to do? Pray. He called to God. Of course, Jesus said, he explained what was going on. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's an interesting word. The word doubt here in the original language means to be pulled two ways. You see, what was he looking at when he started to sink? The waves. What was he looking toward when he started walking on the water? Jesus. You see, he was pulled two different ways. Did he fail? Well, look what happened. In verse 29, it says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. In verse 32, when they got into the boat. So that tells me this. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Beginning to sink. Jesus took his hand, and you know what else happened? They walked back to the boat. So Peter took a walk to Jesus, and then he took a walk with Jesus back to the boat. I, I wouldn't call that failure. He had a little trouble. But let me tell you what complete failure is. Listen close, and this is where we close. Regardless of your past mistakes, regardless of your past sins, and failures and regrets. Pray to Jesus now. Peter knew when it was time to pray to Jesus. His sinking was his own fault. And he knew when it was time to call to Jesus. And as soon as he called to Jesus, Jesus heard him and lifted him up. Now, you are only a complete failure, regardless of what other mistakes and how bad you've blown it, whatever sins you may have in your life, you're only a complete failure if you never call on Jesus. And Peter wasn't a failure. Why? He saw when he needed help. And he reached out to Jesus. And then he and Jesus walked on the water and got back in the boat. You see, Peter's story can be our story. Because his number one desire was to get closer to Jesus, no matter what it took. He requested an invitation, Lord, command me to do something. He also knew when it was time to call for help. 
as prepare for an invitational hymn. I don't know what your storm may be. I don't know what your boat may be. But I know that God has used this message to speak to hearts today. Maybe you just need to talk to Jesus. Maybe you're sinking. And you have never really called it. Notice how, how clear his prayer was. He didn't put any more words than he had to. He just said, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. That, that's all you need. Jesus knows. He knows the whole situation. Reach to him. Speak to him. Clear it up with Jesus. As when standing things went Number 153. <laughs> Oh, God.